Hello and welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's sports car racing podcast. I'm Jonathan Grace and I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 reporter Daniel Lloyd. Dan, how was your week? Very good, thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, we had some exciting uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship action uh, at Lime Rock Park, which we'll delve into in just a second. And obviously, there's all sorts going on in the background, particularly um, in in uh, LMDH and, and the top category of prototype racing. So, um, yeah, it's an exciting time. So, uh, looking forward to to getting into it all. It certainly is, and we've got a great show for you here today. We'll recap IMSA's Northeast GP at Lime Rock Park bring you the news of the week, answer some listener questions, and give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. All that and more on today's episode of Double Stint. Well, Dan, let's dive right in. Uh, The FCP Euro Northeast Grand Prix at Lime Rock, it was a GT-only event, so GTD and GTD Pro. Just 15 cars, so not a ton to keep track of, but uh, no shortage of action. In GTD Pro, Matt Campbell set the pole time in the number 9 FAF Motorsports Porsche, uh, and in the GDD category, it was Frankie Montecalvo in the number 12 Vassar Sullivan Lexus. They had an up and down day, but it was pretty controlled at the front from Faf. They didn't lead the whole race, but they led the vast majority of it. 117 laps. They briefly dropped to third after the opening round of pit stops. And the number 14 GTD Pro Vassar Sullivan of Jack Hawksworth, who was back from injury, led uh, for a little bit there before the FAF carved its way through the field, but uh, the Canadian-based team has now extended its lead in the GTD Pro Championship, and they've, they've looked in fine form the last couple of races. They really have, yeah. It's been a, a great uh, segment of the season for fast motorsports, and, and that driver pairing of Matt Campbell and Matthew Gemini, um running like clockwork, it seems, um, the, these recent events. Obviously, they were coming off the back of the win at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park last time out. Uh, they've won twice before in the season as well at Daytona in WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. So this was their fourth GTD Pro win of the campaign. And to put it into context, only one other crew has won more than one race this year. That's uh, Ross Gunn and Alex Riberas for the Heart of Racing. They've won twice. But yeah, FAF Motorsports um, stretching their legs at the top of the standings now um, with the advantage going up over the Corvette racing crew that had a, a pretty tough day um, at Lime Rock Park. Uh, Jordan Taylor and Antonio Garcia collecting fourth place points, but they finished uh, uh, a little way down. And, and in the end, the FAF pairing increased their lead from 138 points to 215 points, which in context, it was effectively uh, grown their uh, lead at the top of the standings by just over 50%. So um, certainly a, a key victory as we head into the business stage of the season and we start thinking about title permutations. I think uh, that uh, beautiful plaid Porsche is is the one to look out for in the uh, in the championship chase. It certainly is the one to beat the Corvette, the one sitting in P2 in the championship standings. Corvette didn't quite have the day that they would have hoped. It seemed to be a fairly straightforward race for them, contending for potentially a spot on the podium until they made contact with the WeatherTech Racing Mercedes-AMG, suffered some rear suspension damage, ended up finishing the race five laps down. The Corvette had shown some pretty consistent pace throughout the weekend, but again, this is certainly not the way they would have hoped this weekend would go. It, yeah, it, it, it was a tough one. I mean, when you're at a circuit like Lime Rock and you experience even, even the the smallest of issue, considering how how small the track is, um, it, the the impacts are exacerbated really. And and having having even a even a small spin can prove really costly in a race like this um, at, at the track that they call the Bullring. And it, Corvette seem to be, as you said, Jonathan, they seem to be starting reasonably well. Uh, Taylor handed over to Garcia after about half an hour, just a shade under half an hour. And uh, the plan, I think, was to give 
the Spanish driver his final stop with around 40 minutes to go. Um, but in, shortly into his stint, he was involved in in, uh, in some contact with uh, the WeatherTech Racing Mercedes AMG, and and as you said, the suspension damage was uh, was was too great for it to be able to feature in the battle at the front. In the end, that meant that we only had really three uh, GTD Pro cars at, at, at the top of the pile, um, with uh, Ross Gunn and Alex Ribera finishing second, Jack Hawksworth and Ben Barnico in third. Um, the other uh, GTD Pro contender to experience strife was the BMW Team RLL, BMW M4 GT3. That was driven by Connor DeFilippi and John Edwards, and they can't seem to catch a break at the moment or even this season. Um, they haven't been able to recapture the, the the track form they had at Watkins Glen, where they won on the road, but then obviously had that post-race uh, penalty. They, they finished fifth last time out at CTMP and then qualified third for this one at Lime Rock with DeFilippi. Um, but they were sent to the back of the grid for failing to meet the minimum ride height requirement, which I suppose perhaps gave a sort of taste of more misfortune to come uh, because De Filippi during the race then, as he was trying to uh, sort of negotiate the, the pitting WeatherTech Mercedes, um, had a touch and a spin and that sort of caused some internal damage that the team will no doubt investigate further. But it was uh, enough for that car to be uh, out of the race, not running at the end. So um, more disappointment for RLL there. Um, so not everyone had had as sunny a day as the FAF crew uh, in GTD Pro and uh, sort of reflected in the championship standings, I think. Oh, it certainly was. And it's tough because the, that BMW M Team RLL car seemed to move up pretty quickly. The pace was certainly there at the beginning of the race. They made a good start. And again, just the, the misfortune, they couldn't really get away from it and unfortunately ended up not classified Overall, one of three retirements in the race, the other one uh, being the GTD car, the Turner Motorsports car of Robbie Foley and Bill Oberlin. They had an ECU issue, a suspected misfire that put the car behind the wall and then out of contention. A shame for that team, too, at, at what's effectively its home race. Yeah, it was a really tough one for, for Turner Motorsport. They they would have been hoping for a, a much better result for the M4 GT3 um, at, at this track. And, and as you say, they know the Lime Rock Park configuration extremely well. Um, Orberlin and Foley down in fourth in the championship standings and will be trying to reclaim some of that lost ground at Road America, uh, VIR and uh, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta for the final endurance round of the season. Um, so yeah, they've, they've got some, some work to do to pick up um, pick up the points. It, it, it's always difficult coming back from a, a, a non-finish in an IMSA race, but um, you can you can imagine that Turner Motorsports are going to have the, the car turned around in time for Road America um, performing at, at its usual level that we expect it to. Um, at, at the head of GTD, though, um, it was it was a BMW that took the win with Brian Sellers and Madison Snow. Really impressive from Paul Miller Racing, and it came down right to the, the final lap. Um, as, as sellers came through the, the bunch of cars after the restart, it was crazy to try and keep up with it. But uh, sellers was the one who managed to uh, come through at, at the head. But Snow was also really good in the opening stint, I thought, um, making some really nice moves on, on the GTD rivals. Um, they were rewarded with a fourth place overall finish, most importantly, winning the class ahead of Roman DeAngelis and Maxime Martin for the Heart of Racing Aston Martin team. So, um, yeah, a, a good result for Paul Miller Racing there. And in, in terms of where they sit in the championship standings, they lead the uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sprint Cup by uh, quite a decent margin over DeAngelis uh, with two rounds of that to go. Um, and then in the overall point standings there, 
um, it, it, it's not really a factor for them, but um, certainly uh, they, it will be great motivation for them heading into their remaining races of the program. So uh, yeah, Paul Miller Racing um, fully dialed in with that BMW, having started the season a bit later, and it, it was uh, great work from that team to get the win and under sort of stressful circumstances at the end of what was uh, a fuel mileage thriller. It was a very interesting end to the race. The the race as a whole looked to be fairly straightforward until it wasn't. With about 21 minutes to go, we saw a big solo crash for the number 51 Rick Ware Racing Acura NSX GT3 of Ryan Eversley. He went under the tire barriers after going off on the exit of the final corner going downhill, but he was okay, walked out under his own power and, more crucially, unhurt. This led to a full-course yellow, which saw a 10-minute dash to the end. And we saw plenty of elbows out and rubbing his racing action, shall we say, in the GTD field. We saw the number 12 Vassar Sullivan Lexus of Aaron Tielitz have hood damage after contact when the number 57 windward racing Mercedes AMG of Philip Ellis was passing it for the lead. Tielitz came into pick lane and they just removed the hood and let it go fully air-cooled for the last couple of laps. Uh, Ellis, as we said, did make his way up into the lead but ran out of fuel uh, on the last lap heading down the final corner, which allowed, as you said, Dan, the number one Paul Miller Racing BMW of Ryan Sellers to take that surprise win. A little extra percentage of fuel saving ended up paying dividends in the end. Brian Sellers was absolutely ecstatic. An exceptional drive from both him and Madison Snow earlier in the race. They carved up places, uh, just made their way through the field and hung in there until the very end. They started seventh on the grid. They were fourth at the restart uh, and just did a great job. Brian Sellers was screaming with joy and fist pumps inside the car and understandably so after that surprise win. Uh, a tough day, though, for Aaron Tielitz and the number 12 squad. They ended up finishing 11th overall, got caught out with a little bit of contact. They had started the race in sixth. As we said, they had gone up to first in class before having to come in and, and pit for the hood damage. Uh, but plenty of action near the end of the race in GTD. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's never nice when uh, a bit of bodywork comes up and you have to sort of peer around to to try and find your way around the track uh, fortunately some well somewhat fortunately for t initially um the the lexus is a left-hand drive car and the bodywork had come up on the right hand side so it did seem as though his vision wasn't totally unimpaired but it was certainly impacting his way around some of the apexes around the uh, lime rock park track um with it being a a, a, a clockwise configuration i suppose a lot of those apexes were on the right hand side anyway so he was looking across uh, and only finding Bonnet. So, uh, yeah, really tough ending for Tealitz there. And, and the Lexus were, uh, they were looking pretty strong in, in both categories there. And and, and it could have been uh, perhaps a, a double podium for, for the Vassar Sullivan team in the respective classes. But uh, no, uh, Monte Calvo and Tealitz, uh, much, much further down, eighth in class, I think they ended up behind the uh, WeatherTech Mercedes. So, um, yeah, they'll, uh, they'll be wanting to rebound and uh, come back for the next one and do better. Well, certainly have, uh, plenty of storylines to follow after Lime Rock, and, and we're interested to see what everybody brings to the table in the next round. We also saw racing action this week in Fanatec G2 World Challenge Asia, powered by AWS. They were at Suzuka, and you can read all about it in the weekly racing roundup over on sportscar365.com. Let's move into talking about some of the headlines we're following this week. Uh, we'll lead off with some LMDH news. There was a five-day group test that took place 
at Sebring. We saw the Cadillac on track as well as the Porsche 963. Ringer van der Zander said he was pleasantly surprised with the new Cadillac. And this is interesting because when I was speaking to him after the race at Watkins Glen, he said he was really just relishing every lap he can get at the high-speed tracks in the DPI car because he knows they're going to get slower. But he was all smiles after this test, after turning some laps. Really, really seemed pleased with where the car is. Yeah, Renga was absolutely delighted after the uh, uh, his first laps behind the wheel. He said that he enjoyed driving every meter in the Cadillac LMDH car at Sebring recently. Um, it's just that element of having a, a new toy to play with, like a like a child on Christmas morning. I think Van der Zander was really excited to just sort of um, unwrap all of the uh, different options in the car and, and explore some of the details. It, I suppose it doesn't really matter when the pace is a bit different, when you've got something new to explore and to, to try to understand. It's just such a thrill for any racing driver driver uh, and Renga told us afterwards uh, that, that that was the case when he um, performed this test uh, which came after Earl Bamba shook the car down um, recently uh, we know that Bamba and van der Zander were, were uh, doing the first two days of running and then later in the week Alex Lynn and Sebastian Bourdais got their turns uh, behind the wheel of the new Cadillac based on the Dallara uh, chassis so um, yeah it was uh, both uh, Cadillac and Porsche were at Sebring for this anticipated test it was the first group test for LMDH uh, previously Porsche had been doing um uh, all of its track testing alone, uh, working with the uh, common parts providers for the uh, spec hybrid system uh, to to try and get those dialed in and to to sort of do a bit of mule work for the category really. And now it's being joined by uh, Cadillac. There's just that sort of additional data being gathered when you've got more manufacturers coming on board with feedback. Um, Cadillac as well, though, was hoping to understand some of its own car and to sort of validate um, what it's been doing in simulations. So, um, yeah, really interesting to see both cars on track. Um, There's been uh, some of the uh, targets, I think, was the the validation of the uh, updates, some updated MGU components from Bosch um, and and just sort of gaining mileage, especially at a track where these cars are going to be uh, racing in anger only. Only in March next year, it's really not that far away. So, uh, yeah, such an exciting time to see these cars going out. I'll tell you, Jonathan, I was at uh, Monza um, around the time just before this this test took place the weekend before. And and the the buzz of people talking about these these rollouts, these LMDH cars getting on track was just it was palpable. It was it was so, uh, so interesting to sort of hear little little bits of information about this manufacturer is doing this. This one's doing that. Where's this car going? Um, this is sort of a, a period in sports car racing we were all really looking forward to and we haven't really experienced uh, for some time. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing more manufacturers joining the party, although uh, one has already made some pretty significant steps to doing that. Absolutely. You read my mind. The Acura ARX06 was rolled out at Paul Ricard, Ricky Taylor, and Matt McMurray shook down the car. We didn't get a ton of visual angles. It was a brief video on social media that showed some limited angles of a camouflaged car, and we still are a little limited in terms of details on the powertrain and things like that. Certainly more details uh, are expected soon, but another LMDH car out on track. Again, as you said, it just further builds to the excitement of this new era. It, it, it really does. And, and the fact that this is all, all coming thick and fast, it, I suppose it can be quite uh, difficult to keep up with it. We've, we've certainly uh, tried our best to, to, to bring it all to you as soon as possible. And we have. And yeah, the Acura coming out um, with the rollout initially at uh, the airport next to Circuit Paul Ricard. Uh, and then there was a, a, a track test at Manicor um, to follow that. I, uh, my understanding is that they, there wasn't 
proper availability on the Paul Ricard circuit, hence why they went up to Manicor, which is um, usually a Ligier stomping ground, but the accurate is an Orica chassis car. Um, so uh, uh, that was uh, just just a real treat to see that car on track as well and get a couple of engine notes. And um, yeah, we, we didn't see perhaps as much as we would have liked. We always want to see everything and Acura keeping its cards as close to its chest as possible. But you can be sure that that car will be um, heading on track for um, a, a group test at some point soon. I th- they, there were there was initial sort of talk of the Acura joining Cadillac and uh, uh, Porsche for the recent Sebring test, but um, they opted not to with their rollout taking place um, sort of as as that was all going on um, and doing so over in Europe, not in America. So, but yeah, no, that, that car will, which will be racing in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship exclusively next year, um, should be heading over to North America to do some more testing you would expect um, because we've got the sanction test coming up later in the year. It's an important phase for that program as well. Another manufacturer we're expecting to see on track anytime soon here is BMW. We know that they're working on engine reliability with that LMDH powertrain, that grandfathered P66 now designated the P66-3 engine uh, from the P66-1 engine that ran in DTM. They say they've been uh, modifying it heavily and it's undergone extensive changes from what it was originally to not only fit in a different location in the car, but to work with the chassis, the hybrid power unit, uh, and really just meet the demands of the category. But BMW says it's going really well. And again, this is another manufacturer we're expecting to see on track very soon. Yeah, the understanding is that BMW will be out uh, this month. So uh, there's not too many, aren't too many days left in July. So we'll be hoping uh, to get some footage of that very soon. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the the sort of the modifications, the extensive changes to that engine, the the former DTM engine, which at the base is is a decade old, um, has sort of added to some time constraints there. And and uh, BMW, I think it, it sort of chose the route mechanically that would be best for that car, which has perhaps created some sort of timing uh challenges there but i suppose which manufacturer isn't under pressure timing wise when you consider that these cars will be debuting um at the rolex 24 at daytona um in january 2023 but um but from what we hear and understand bmw seem to be um, on a good path with their progress um that should be the next one that we see um coming out and and um yeah they'll they'll be uh, wanting to gather as much mileage as possible leading into the homologation of of that car um a, a lot of the work there being done over in europe um with uh, delara uh, being the chassis partner much like with cadillac um but with bmw yeah a lot of the work has been done in europe there and, and a lot of the simulations um so yeah i I think we'll see the first rollout of that car going out in Europe, but that's sort of something that remains to be seen. And uh, I suppose it's something that BMW can only uh, arrange in its own time. Well, you talked about the timeline, and I want to touch on that just briefly again, because the the challenge of developing an LMH or an LMDH car at this pace cannot really be understated. We've seen some manufacturers like Cadillac design a brand new car from the ground up. We've seen uh, manufacturers like BMW take little bits and pieces from other cars and mold it with a new chassis. Uh, in these different approaches all have to be completed very, very quickly and, and by a specific deadline for next year. It's a very daunting task. Absolutely. And and when you factor in that, that you've got these sort of um, elements of transatlantic nature to these programs with, with BMW um, operating from Munich, and then that program will, will uh, run in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So there's, there's also... Um, logistics elements to it there's there's transportation um which when you think about 
you know, they, that, that's going to eat into some valuable time somewhere along the line. And and there's all of these little micro deadlines that are, uh, it, some of them just can't always be met, whether that's a single part that doesn't arrive on time and then that leads on to something else. Um, it's a really delicate process. And I can only express admiration for how these manufacturers have um, approached these tasks. Um, and also the, the LMDH uh, common part suppliers for um, uh, working working their best to, to deliver for these manufacturers to go testing. Um, I know it's been perhaps a, a bit of a rocky road in some areas, but um, I, I think there's there's still confidence that we're going to be able to have these cars in a in a race ready situation, ready for Daytona, which which they kind of have to do, really. I mean, you can't imagine what it would be like if if LMDH cars weren't ready for Daytona. I don't want, really want to plant that seed. Um, but no, it, it, it's been a great um, a, a great thing to follow. And, and I think the manufacturers um, have have done really well and, and sort of in, in impressed me with the way in which they've been developing developing these cars and, and it goes on the lmh side as well with uh, peugeot doing its work to to get that car on track and, and racing at the recent six hours of monza so um such a fascinating time and i'm sure there are lots of stories under the surface that we're that we're, we're uh, even yet to be told and, and we'll be uh, of course bringing those all to you well, one of those other storylines is a customer team. In the LMDH camp, Joda is planning to test the Porsche LMDH car before taking delivery of its own. We know that Joda is teaming up with Hertz Rental Cars and Singer Vehicle Design, uh, which is a very cool company based out of California. Porsche, it sounds, has been more than willing to accommodate a test with Joda. Joda was not at Sebring, but it's understood they will be at Monza. And Joda has been more than impressed so far by Porsche's hospitality and commitment to its customers. It's a really cool sign early on. Yeah, that's right. I spoke to um, Joda uh, co-owner David Clark, and, and he described Porsche's attitude towards this customer program as inspirational, which is um, just the thing that, that uh, Porsche will be hoping to hear. So, um, yeah, they, they've been they've been really impressed with with the approach from the manufacturer um which it, it's obviously a, a heavy commitment from porsche to to allocate customer cars in the first year of competition for a car that itself is being developed as we speak um so that's a really complicated multi-layered program and, and uh, jota um they 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 seem to be really um trust trusting in in porsche's capabilities to to get that car dialed in and ready to go for next year um, Jota's plan is to do one car in the World Endurance Championship uh, next year and then um, potentially move on to two cars in 2024, although there's nothing confirmed there. That's just sort of uh, a wait and see thing. But um, yeah, the idea is for uh, Jota to, to get its hands on uh, a Porsche provided uh, Porsche 963 to, to get that testing done, um, to, to sort of get dialed in, get its engineers familiar with the car before it takes delivery, because we don't really know when that delivery is going to take place. And um, it, it, it's it's a better scenario for them to just sort of understand the package first and and have a baseline for when they eventually do take delivery. So I think it's a sensible approach. Um, it's the way to get these customer teams uh, dialed in and ready. Um, Jota is, of course, hoping to, to fight against the factories and to go and try and beat Porsche as well. So it's important for them to to understand bits about setup and how they can perhaps get an edge. So no, it's exciting times and, and that's a, a really cool project with some interesting parties on board. And no doubt we'll be hearing more about Jota's plans um, in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, it certainly is exciting. We know uh, how powerful an organization Jota is. It's uh, just really neat to see. I've never seen a, a manufacturer, especially a luxury manufacturer, so eager to hand out a test drive. Yeah, it's it's, it's cool to see. And um, 
D- David Clark even said that Porsche previously invited Jota to some of its earlier tests on the um, LMDH car, uh, but Jota declined because the deal wasn't set in stone. They hadn't signed the contracts and things like that. But um, as things were progressing, Porsche was really keen to involve the customer in the early stages of the process, even at a time when Porsche was learning lots of new things about the car based on track testing. So um, yeah, it's uh, very interesting to see how closely integrated Porsche has been willing to bring the customers into the testing process and into, uh, into looking at how to get the most out of the car ahead of time. So um, yeah, that's, that's a, a program really looking forward to, to seeing because it's uh, important to note that this, these formulas aren't just about factory racing. There are opportunities for private teams to step up from the other categories from LMP2 um, and, and to, to have a go because why not? <laughs> With the upcoming 24 hours of Spa, Audi has announced five factory assisted entries for that event, five cars to be run by four teams. And uh, Dan, I understand you have some more news on the lineups. Yeah, so the the lineups Audi has, has put out, laid out everything, what it's going to be doing at the Total Energy's 24 Hours of Spa, one of the um, biggest races of the year, a 65 car GT3 grid. There were some questions when the entry list was put out um, when uh, there were no cars with the Audi Sport team banner. Um, this has sort of been addressed by Audi. There will be Audi Sport team entries. It will be those five that you just mentioned, the four teams are Attempto Racing, Santalop Junior Team, Tressel by Car Collection, and Team WRT, uh, which has two uh, factory-assisted, let's say, extended factory support um, entries. I think there's sort of still some questions remain to be seen as to what the level of support is. I was trying to sort of get an idea for it um, when I was at a recent World Challenge Europe round at Misano, and uh, one of the teams suggested that they sort of had to on their own fill in perhaps for some strategists that aren't there that normally would be there. Um, but then others said that they were expecting the same level of support and that discussions were going to be ongoing. Um, another said they were expecting changes to the driver lineup. And that actually happens to be the one that um, did have a change in its driver lineup because uh, Ricardo Feller, the reigning ADAC GT Masters champion, has been drafted into uh, the number 66 Audi Sport Team Attempto crew alongside Dennis Marshall and Marcus Winkelhock. It's a it's an interesting scenario with with the Audi Sport crews. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure that we've we've read the full story into this. Um, that I think there's more information to come, but um, certainly it's it's good that there's there is an element of extended factory support to some of the entries. Um, Spa is a race that not only counting on experience, teams um, really do benefit from uh, having this uh, support from the manufacturer of which they are a customer. Um, We've seen that with Audi sport teams in the past. Winning the race team, WRT finished a, a narrow second last year. Um, so it, it's it's an important element of this race, and it's something that Audi sport has, has um, lent its hand to in, in many previous editions. So it's good to see that it, it, it is continuing in this one. Um, most of the dry, driver lineups, though, aside from the Attempto one, are unchanged. So um, some interesting sort of moves there. We've got um, in the Santalot Junior team camp, uh, Lucas Legere, who's a silver-rated driver, will will remain in that car. Previously, Santalok shuffled around a bit with its uh, pro crews and had uh, an all-factory lineup in the 25, I think it was, last year. But no, um, they've got Legere in there alongside Patrick Niederhauser and Christopher Mees. So um, perhaps some compromise on some sides with, with the full-season Endurance Cup lineups remaining unchanged apart from one car. But that said, those full-season lineups are strong anyway. And you can imagine the likes of Kelvin van der Linde, Dries van Thor and Charles Vietz being right in the thick of the action at the sharp end of the field. Um, likewise, the um, Audi Sport Team Tressor crew of Mattia Drudi, Luca Giotto and Christopher Haas is 
equally stout. So, um, yeah, Audi just doing some housekeeping there and, and clarifying to us how their entries will look at Spa. Um, and uh, but certainly, uh, it, it was a it was an interesting scenario on the entry list. So it's nice that it's sort of been ironed out somewhat. Absolutely is. And as you said, some incredibly strong lineups from Audi, who's had a tremendous amount of success at this event in the past. The five factory-backed cars will be joined by seven privateer Audi R8 GT3s on the grid. Uh, For what you said is is a very packed grid of GT3 cars, Uh, we certainly are, are looking forward to that event and we'll bring you more news from the 24 Hours of Spa as it develops. We'll give you a brief rundown of some other headlines we're following this week. Philippe Albuquerque has announced he is staying with United Autosport for a fourth consecutive World Endurance Championship season. He's been there since the beginning, since the team's WEC debut in the 2019-2020 season, his seventh total season with the team across multiple series. He will be pulling double duty as he did this year in the World Endurance Championship and then across the pond in IMSA in GTP. Radical will host its five-day World Finals event in Las Vegas at Spring Mountain Motorsport Resort, a location it has a long and successful history with both as a Radical dealer and as a venue for Radical racing. SRO is considering using a renewable fuel for 2023 and beyond. This is part of its overall global goal of carbon neutrality by next year. And this is an interesting one because fuel consumption from the race car only accounts for about 3% of total carbon emissions for the organization, about 70% of those emissions due to logistics. As always, you can read about all the headlines we've covered and more over on sportscar365.com. All right, Dan, let's move into answering some listener questions. We had two questions this week, both on Twitter via the hashtag AskDoubleStint from Dr. Joy Bananas. The first question is, He asks, I feel like the blue flags in sports car racing is just a way for the flagman to get a workout, considering multi-class racing. That's pretty much all the time. How do drivers pay attention to those flags in a sports car race, say, compared to IndyCar? And this is an interesting one because we know that the prototype cars have an onboard scrutineering system made by Bosch. They also have spotters, uh, but certainly it's a lot to keep track of as a driver. It is, yeah. It's, you, you could argue that the old ways are the best ways with um, blue flags, the, the the manual flag system being used to alert drivers as to a faster car coming along. And in sports car races, you, that happens quite a lot. It's it's the the flagman's flag of choice because um, because of all of the passing moves between the different classes. Um, it, it, it's it's a difficult one, but they do still serve a purpose. Although I know there's been some. Um, wouldn't perhaps say controversy, but certainly points regarding blue flag rules um, over in European GT3 racing. Um, last year in GT World Challenge Europe, particularly in Endurance Cup, um, a lot of the pro drivers were complaining that uh, drivers from from other categories were um, ignoring blue flags and impeding them and impacting the, the nature of the overall race. Um, that seems to have died down a little bit this year. So um, some, some meetings were held, I think. but. Um, the, the the blue flags uh, are still wanted to be respected by the pro drivers let's put it that way and, and they still find it useful to have them um in in the sense of european gt3 they still find it useful to have them around the track and to alert them um for overtaking possibilities um in those busy races so um i don't think they're redundant so um but that's just sort of from a european perspective particularly in gt world challenge europe uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm still a firm advocate for for blue flag usage, and uh, certainly as in addition to being a good workout, it's also still a useful tool for drivers um, in the faster categories. 
In the second question, Dr. Joy Banana asks, I heard from other sources that Foyt is coming to join GTP and IMSA, and do you have any info? How strong do you expect them to be compared with other GTP outfits? And this is interesting because there have been some rumblings that potentially an IndyCar team would join GTP and IMSA, and we can kind of take a look at, at maybe some of the possibilities. Andretti would likely pair with Alpine in the World Endurance Championship, given that Formula One relationship that they've already built. Zach Brown has stated that McLaren is likely to join GTP at some point, but kind of unclear when, and McLaren is juggling a lot of things right now, spinning a lot of plates across different series, and they're adding a third Aero McLaren SP IndyCar for next year. AJ Foyt and Supertex are no stranger to endurance racing, and they were previously entered in the 80s in GTP in a Porsche 962. So from a marketing perspective, I could certainly see it. But Foyt, wow, one of the most historic and successful names on the IndyCar grid, not necessarily the most well-funded as it stands, uh, but it is certainly a possibility. Well, it's it, it's hard to say, I suppose. Uh, you, when when you allude to the romance there of it, Jonathan, it does it does seem to make a lot of sense just from a historical perspective. And and obviously, the wish of uh, sports car racing fans would be to see a name like that um, gracing the IMSA GTP grid um, as a customer of a major manufacturer. Um, we we've heard the rumours from um, elsewhere, but we currently don't have anything concrete to to say about that. Um, it's is sort of a situation where um, these things do take some time to, to be arranged and to come out. And when you've got customers um, with sort of these the, these high high value deals, these extremely expensive deals, it, it can obviously be a sensitive topic and, and something that can't just sort of come out of the woodwork straight away from a rumor. So um, I, I think we'll probably we'll hear more on the Porsche customer front. Um, in the coming weeks, because as we know, Porsche has allocated custom uh, more customer cars than have been currently announced. Um, because we've got JDC Miller with with its car on one side of the Atlantic, and then Jota in the World Endurance Championship. So there is scope for for more ones to join. But um, currently, right now, we don't really have anything to report there. Although, as you say, Jonathan, um, it it probably it, it would be quite a popular one <laughs> if something like that did materialize. We'll have to uh, wait and see. One thing we do know for certain is that the the hypercar and LMDH era has certainly already attracted an incredible amount of manufacturer and customer interest. Uh, and assuming all goes well, which it, it's slated to, there should be more interest from all parties in the future. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that. As always, thank you to everybody who wrote in a question. We always love answering those on the show. If you have a question you'd like answered right here on Double Stint, be sure to post it in the comment section below this episode on sportscar365.com, or you can take to Twitter and post your question using the hashtag AskDoubleStint. We'll put our heads together and do our best to answer it right here on an upcoming episode. Let's give you a quick preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. This weekend, we'll see Fanatec GT World Challenge America, powered by AWS, out in Virginia, we'll see Fanatec GT World Challenge Asia, powered by AWS, continuing its campaign in Fuji. And we'll see Intelligent Money British GT Championship at Spa-Francorchamps. Certainly an exciting weekend of sports car racing, and you can read all about it on sportscar365.com. That's it for us this week on the podcast. If you have the time, we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For Daniel Lloyd, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of Double Stint. <laughs>